Welcome to the weekly message from Rama Family Church. It is our hope that as you listen to this message, you will come to know Jesus better and be established in your faith and equipped for the work of the ministry. You can view the sermon notes and listen online at rama.org.au forward slash media. Father, thank you so much for your, you're so good, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for making vision clearer and clearer. We thank you for helping us commute, uh, communicate vision uh, clearer, and so it's crystal clear, Father. Uh, Lord, we thank you for today as we get into the Word. Father, we thank you that you help us minister your Word, and it will cause people to leave here differently changed in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're on this series. It's the third week, and then next week our conference starts. So it's, in a sense, the final week. Uh, we're calling it Every Need. Here's our text scripture, Philippians 4, verse 19. It says, and my God will supply every need. Can you say every need? Of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So uh, we said this about this verse. God desires to supply every need for every person in every circumstance. Every need, every person, in every circumstance. There is no limitation on that verse. So it doesn't matter what background you came from. You know, it's, it's amazing when Jesus hung on the cross and there's a guy getting put to death for something bad he did and he accepted, he called Jesus Lord and Jesus said, you're going to be with me in paradise today. If somebody, whoever, if somebody does the worst thing you can imagine but they go to God and ask forgiveness, they're going to be in heaven with us. So it's, there's no restrictions on that verse. It's for every person, for every need, and every circumstance. And so even as a Christian, it's important for all of us to know that God, you know, uh, sometimes we don't get things as quickly as we want them. And, th- and then if they don't come as quickly as we want, we might wonder if God wants to give them. But there's certain things like if you need to get healed uh, because it's a serious sickness, you need it quick so you can live. But there's other things like sometimes there is a timing element so with the plans and the purposes of God, there can be a timing element and we shouldn't give up. Um, sometimes we take a wrong road. But that's the cool thing. With our gifts and our callings, you could go down the wrong way and pursue something wrong, but God, he's so good, the gifts and callings of God, he doesn't change his mind about it. And you can just come back up and get on another entrance ramp and get right back on course for the will of God for your life. God is so good. You know, so you, you, uh, you, we never quit with him. Okay, so last week, uh, Patsy identified our main needs. She identified seven needs last week. Uh, spiritual, wisdom, soul, which is mental and emotional, physical, relational, financial, and material. Uh, you know, I knew she was studying two Saturdays ago and preparing, and I didn't, uh, and I, I actually put her, I put the PowerPoints together for Patsy too, and uh, so I saw that, but um, I didn't know she put those in order of importance until she, uh, I, you know, she didn't have her notes weren't that thorough. And I'm sitting there thinking, that's so good. Yeah. And I didn't want to just leave it go. So she made a comment that our spiritual, that's the number one need for all of mankind. It's our number one need is spiritual. And then, you know, of course, wisdom. And, and she explained it so well. You can, look, you can go on our website and listen to it again. Uh, but these are the seven needs of mankind, uh, and they're the, the most prevalent ones, okay? So, but with that in mind, when I, beca- when I confessed Jesus as my Lord and became a Christian, 
we did, our family grew up in a denominational church, and we did not know a lot about God. And so we didn't know what God did for us, and we didn't know what God even would do to us. And so we, we knew very little, even though we were in church every Sunday on the front row. And uh, there's, a, there's, there's seats up here on the front row, guys, if you're looking for a seat, um, talking about the front row. <laughs> and, and so what happened was the brother that was two years younger than me, his name was David, he, uh, he got, got epilepsy, grand mal, the, the worst kind of epilepsy. There's no warning. You just fall over and have a seizure. And so we thought God gave it to him because we didn't know a lot about God. We didn't know God. We didn't know what he did for people. We didn't know what he did to people. And then uh, he had a seizure near a lake and fell in and he drowned. So we thought then God took him. So we thought God gave him the epilepsy and then God used it to kill him and take him. We didn't know anything about God. And so when we say the number one spiritual need for mankind, the number one need for mankind is spiritual things. We know from our background what it was like not knowing anything about God, so you blame him for everything. If you have a good day or something good happens, God's in a good mood. If you have a bad day and something bad happens, God was in a bad mood. You know, and we knew nothing about God. Now, when you look in the Bible, you know the Bible says that he doesn't change. He doesn't have mood swings. He's not happy one day and mad the next. He has no, no mood swings, okay? We didn't know any of that. So we blamed everything on him, whether it was good or bad, all right? So what happened then, I had, uh, I, we got saved, and my brother Joe and I, we were saved, and he said, we need to leave this church and find a church that preaches the word. And I said, but you know, this we grew up hearing this, that this is the one and only church. And if you leave this church, it's like lightning will come out of the sky and kill you. And so when he said, I said, oh, we can't leave. You know, you know we can't leave. This is like the only church. So what happened was this church that we were in, they had a secret thing going on in the basement. And uh, they, they had a guy came in and he taught on how to get filled with the Holy Spirit. The associate pastor brought him in. It was kind of secret. The senior pastor didn't know any of this was going on in this church. So I got filled with the Holy Ghost. And when I got filled with the Holy Spirit, I was ready to leave the church. And so I told my brother, I'm ready to go now. It's like the Holy Spirit made me, got me bold enough to say, let's take this step. So, and some of you heard this, I got the yellow pages out to find a church. You know, this is a long time ago, back in 1979, and our town didn't have a lot of churches that weren't denominational. So I found this church in the Yellow Pages. It had an Italian name, Pastor Barney Leone. And I said, Joe, there's actually another Italian that isn't in our denomination. I said, this is, we need to go to this church. I, I mean, we're not the only ones that had this happen to us, there's other people. So we went to this church, it had an Italian pastor, and you know, we didn't know what they were about, but we came and they're a Pentecostal church speaking in tongues and all that, and we go, and so we, we made that our church, you know? And, uh, and, and, and so, but I, I said all that to say this, but in that same Bible study, in the basement of the other church, 
I came across the book. It's, it was like a bigger book back then. They made it into a smaller book you can put in your pocket. But it's called Right and Wrong Thinking. And this book, when I found it in that Bible study, it also empowered me to make a move. Because this book, here's what this book taught me. It taught me about right and wrong thinking, right and wrong believing, and right and wrong confessing. So thinking, believing, and confessing. Well, that makes a lot of sense because right thinking is a result of right knowledge. And so right knowledge leads to right believing, and then right believing leads to right talking. And they all are related. So if you think and know the right stuff, you'll believe the right stuff, and then you'll say the right stuff. And whether we realize it or not, what we say has an impact in our life. In the earlier service, we had a confession. It was different than today, this 1031. But we said this confession about we spoke to our immune system. And, you know, the doctors have proved if you, if you speak to your body and say stuff about your body, the doctors have proved your body hears it and responds. So even if you're saying, I'm tired all the time, your body hears it and your body will be more tired. So one way to get out of not being so tired is to stop believing it and saying it. And I know it's worked, you know. And uh, I, I was even a, a workaholic for a season. I had so much energy. And I had to, and I'm serious, I got into some health issues way back 12 years ago because I, I was only sleeping four or five hours a night. And I fixed all that, and, and it's good. But, you know, if you, always, if you always say you're tired and believe that, it will have an effect on you. Well, the same way, if you speak to your immune system, your immune system here is, and you say, immune system, I call you strong, I call you well, Immune system, I, you're a fighter. You're strong and you're well and you're fighting sickness in my body. You're fighting disease. It's way better to do that than to say wrong things about your body. Your body hears it. Okay? So uh, with that in mind, this book, I got a hold of it and it changed my life drastically. I was almost ready to walk away from Christianity and go back into the world. And then I got a hold of this book. And ever since I read this book, I never wanted to walk away from God. I never wanted to walk away from Christianity. And I've been so, in a, in a sense, on fire. I've been on fire for God's word ever since I read this book. And we have them back there if you want any. I'm not saying that to sell books, but it's, it's Kenneth E. Hagin, Right and Wrong Thinking. And I'm going to read, uh, before I read it, here's, here's something, what I'm saying. Here's the thought about it. An effective prayer or prophecy from someone can become undone by wrong thoughts, beliefs, or confessions. Now, that might be surprising for some. Like, well, if somebody prays for me, how can that ever become undone? If somebody gives me a prophecy, isn't it set in stone? Well, actually, not really. I mean, there's even a verse in in the book of Timothy where it says, stir up the gift of God that's on the inside of you that you, when somebody laid hands, it says this gift that was imparted to you by the presbytery, stir it up. In other words, even though they laid hands and, and you got an impartation, if you don't stir it up, it just, it's there dormant. So you can get a prophecy, you can have hands laid, you can have all that stuff, but what you believe, how you think and how you believe and how you talk, you can have things undone. So somebody can pray a perfect prayer for you and say amen, and, and here's an example. They can pray a prayer for you that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And right after they pray this prayer, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
you just talk doubt and say, I can't do this, and I, I don't know, I, I don't, you know, I'm not that good, and I'm, I'm, I'm timid, and I'm this, and you can say, and, and no, it doesn't matter how well they prayed for you, if you think the wrong way, and believe the wrong way, and talk the wrong way, it doesn't really matter. So, so I, I know maybe that's different for some, but what you believe about yourself, and how you think about yourself, and how you talk about yourself has a huge impact on you. And so, the, the, so, so it's wonderful that we can have prayer, and it's wonderful that we can have a prophecy, but ultimately, we'll get right back to the same place if we think and believe the wrong stuff about ourselves and say the wrong stuff about ourselves. Does that make sense? So with that in mind, here's an, here I'm going to read an excerpt from this book. <clears throat> However, we need to realize that thoughts can come into our minds from two different sources. In other words, the thoughts that come into our minds do not always originate in our minds. The devil puts many thoughts into our minds from outside ourselves. That's one source. Then, of course, the thoughts from God come within, from within us. They come through our spirits into our minds. As you stay in close fellowship with the Lord through prayer, meditation, and study of his word, you will learn to distinguish the source of your thoughts. Naturally, evil thoughts are from the devil. God is love, and on the other hand, and love thinks no evil, hears no evil, and sees no evil. Those kinds of thoughts come from God. So that's just an excerpt from this book, uh, Right and Wrong Thinking, by Kenneth e. Hagen. So with all of that, I said all of that to get into something today that we, we can spend a little bit of time here, and that is removing hindrances. And so these uh, seven things that Patsy uh, presented last week, the seven needs, we're going to especially look at the first one. There's just not enough time to do, look at all of them on how to remove hindrances for everyone. But as Patsy said last week, the number one and most important thing is spiritual. That is the number one need for everyone. So we're especially going to look into this spiritual and talk about some hindrances. So the first thing that we're going to do, which most of everyone sitting in here, you're not in this category, but you probably have friends, relatives, loved ones and all in this category. So we're going to say something about that. And that is like, what about somebody that isn't a Christian and what would be a hindrance? What, what is the main hindrance and how can we do something about it? So the, the way that we can say that is what stops people from getting saved? All right. So there's two main things and we're not going to say a whole lot about the first one if really nothing. The first one is they have to hear the gospel. And so we'll just leave it there because you guys should know they need to hear the gospel. But let's look at the second one. Here's the second one in 2 Corinthians 4.3. It says, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. So you can even say blind, if somebody's blinded to it, that's another way to say it. Then look at verse number four. It says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So what we see there, if what stops or hinders people from getting saved, and you can see that their minds can be blinded, the God of this world is the devil, that's who that is, and their minds could be blinded, and they're unbelievers, the Bible calls them. If you don't believe in Jesus, the Bible says you're an unbeliever. And then so the, when their minds are veiled or blinded, it keeps them from seeing the light of the gospel. So how can we remove, we're talking about removing hindrances. 
What can we do to see loved ones saved and to help them? Okay, and even friends. Okay, so here's two things we can do. Number one, most of our friends and our family don't really want to hear things from us. I know there's exceptions, but most of the time they receive from a stranger better than us. I mean, Jesus even, Jesus went into his hometown and had the least results in his hometown. Everywhere else he had amazing results, but his hometown, you know, that's, it's called the tall poppy syndrome here, but it started in the hometown of Jesus. It didn't start in Australia. And we lived in Europe for 10 years, and I can tell you it's stronger in Europe than it is in Australia. Praise the Lord for that. It's not as strong here, but I, I understand the tall poppies here too. But it's like Jesus went into his hometown and they didn't want to hear what he had to say because he was just the carpenter's son and they didn't recognize the anointing. He wasn't the Christ there, which the Christ means the anointed one. He was the carpenter. So they, they, he couldn't really get a lot done uh, because of their belief. So the first thing is, generally speaking, you want to pray that God sends a laborer to share the gospel with your friends, loved ones, and family because they probably don't want to hear it from you. And then the second thing we can do is we can exercise our authority. And so uh, that means that our spiritual authority, we can break the devil's power from blinding people's minds so that they will understand the gospel. So you can pray that for your friends and loved ones. Just break the devil's power in the name of Jesus uh, from blinding their minds to the light of the glorious gospel. And they, and, and they can get saved. So here's a story. Some of you heard me say this before, but Kenneth Hagin, the guy that wrote this book, he had a brother named Dub. How do you like the name Dub? D-U-B, Dub. Um, and so that's way back a long time ago. Well, Dub was a bad guy. And rumor was that he even killed some people. He, was a, a, he drove a getaway car for some of the famous bank robbers back in the days when they robbed banks. I don't think it was Bonnie and Clyde, but some of those guys. He was a getaway car driver, and he even supposedly killed some guys. So he was bad. Dub was a big dude. I, I actually met Dub. Um, he, he got, I'll tell you the story, but he was a scary guy to be around. Anytime Dub came around, we kind of got afraid. Um, <laughs> About that, anyway, but so before, so Brother Hagen shared Jesus with his brother numerous times, no results, and then the Lord said, I'll tell you how to get your brother saved. He said, first of all, pray and ask me to send, you send, I will send a laborer to him. Secondly, use your authority and break the devil's power from blinding his mind to the gospel. So to make a long story short, Brother Hagen broke, used his authority, broke the de- power of the devil from blinding his uh, brother from the light of the glorious gospel and asked the Lord to send somebody to preach to him. And guess what? After years, in two weeks, his brother came and said, I'm a Christian. I got saved. In two weeks. So it's, it's wonderful. So I'm not promising two weeks for your friends and loved ones, but it will make a difference. So that's, that's how we can remove that hindrance. So we're talking the number one need for everyone is to get saved, which is spiritual. Get, get their spirits reborn. So that's for unsaved. Let's talk about now for Christians, and let's look at this from our perspective. What could be some of the hindrances as Christians, and how can we get rid of those? So we're going to look at three things today. We're going to look at knowledge, prayer, and desire. And these are three important things uh, for Christians, a lack of knowledge is a huge hindrance spiritually because knowledge and knowledge of God will propel us 
into everything God has for us. So knowledge and then prayer, how does prayer fit in? What can prayer do to help us spiritually and then desire? We're going to look at those three things. All right. So I'll say it again. The main spiritual need for all of us as Christians is spiritual. It's revelation knowledge, which is spiritual. Revelation knowledge, okay? And revelation knowledge, what it does, we sang it today, it changes us from the inside. Now, Christianity is the only religion in the world that works on the basis of you get changed on the inside and then it goes and change, you get changed from the inside out. Everything else is based on you make yourself better and it starts on the outside and hopefully you'll have some kind of heart change on the inside. Christianity changes the heart and then it goes out and it causes our behavior to change. It's from the inside out. It's the only religion like that in the world. The reason it's like that is because God created us and because he is the creator, he's the only one that can get on the inside of us. God is a spirit, okay? I'm just saying what the Bible says. So God is a spirit and we are three-part beings. We're spirit, soul, and body. So God, because he's a spirit and he created us, he's the only one that can cause our spirits to become alive again. So he sent his son, Jesus, his son, shed his blood, went to hell and took our sin. He was raised from the dead, and that made it possible now for God to get on the inside of us. And he is the only one that can get on the inside of us that way because he's our creator. And Jesus is the only way to get God to get on the inside of us. So uh, that's how it happens. So he does it from the inside out. That's why when Jesus walked on the earth, he said, I am the way. I am the truth, and I am the light, and no one can come to the Father except through me, because it was the Son of the Creator of the universe, and he opened the door for the Creator to get on the inside of us. So Christianity works from the inside out. So what happens is when we get changed on the inside, uh, then eventually we renew, our minds get renewed and changed. Uh, Our thinking, behavior, our souls, our bodies, our relationships, all of those seven things that we see there it will have an impact on all seven of those when we get God on the inside of us. Okay, so with all that said, let me say this then. Just a a couple short thoughts about Jesus and the epistles. So when Jesus walked on the earth, the epistles, and if you don't know what the epistles are, they're in the Bible. They're the last part of the Bible. They end, and then the book of Revelation starts. The epistles start with the book of Romans, and they, I believe, end with the book of Jude, and then you got Revelations, okay? And is it Jude or Third John? I think it's Jude. Anyway, but so is it, is, am I right? Okay, but so that's the epistles, and in case you don't know, the epistles are written to the church. So it's really good to see what the epistles say because they're talking to us and about us. When Jesus walked on the earth, he was talking mainly to Jewish people. You know, that's, that was his main audience, but yet we can learn a lot from what Jesus said and even learn a lot what he did. So let's first of all consider Jesus. When he walked on the earth, here's one thing Jesus did. He focused on the answer. And here's an example of that. The devil came to him and tempted him. And so did Jesus say, liar, liar, pants on fire, you idiot, 
I'm, I'm going to slug you, get out of here. You know, he, he didn't do that. That's not how he talked to him. He, and uh, he, what he did is he said, it is written. He put the weight on the word. And so first of all, like as a Christian, you should know that smarting off to the devil doesn't do anything. It's like nothing, nil, zilch. You can call him every name in the book. If you're a Christian, you shouldn't cuss. If you backslid and start cussing at him, he would be happy about it because you backslid and cussed at him, and it would do nothing. It would do nothing. You can yell at the top of your lungs, you know, but if you know who you are, you can whisper at the devil, and he'll run away if you know who you are and you know God's word. But I said all that to say, after the devil came to Jesus and did that, Jesus didn't make the the main focus of his ministry against the devil. He, he focused on the answer all the time. So he said, it's written. Now, here, here's even like, look at Jude chapter 9. Look at what it says here. It says, but Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil and arguing with him about the body of Moses, did not dare to pronounce judgment on him, look at this, in abusive terms, but simply said, the Lord rebuke you. Now, this is Michael, the archangel. You know, there was, you know, there, there was, the, the devil was up there, and he used to be one of the angels, like an archangel, and he got cast out of heaven. So Michael is more powerful than we are, by the way. And Michael, the archangel himself, he did not speak, like, say, you stupid idiot. It's, he didn't do any of that. He said, the Lord rebuke you. He put the weight on the Lord, all right, so this is stuff we need to know. So, so as Christians, like, we don't want to focus on the wrong thing. Well, focusing on the wrong thing doesn't take us forward. And it'll actually keep us in the same place or could even make us go backwards, you know. So I, in our travels, and we traveled for 28 years, a lot of you know, and we, we were in churches a lot. Sometimes we, a lot of times, we, there was times we went to a church, a different one every weekend. So you understand, we sat with 50, 100, hundreds of pastors maybe, never counted them up, and we heard a lot of things from a lot of pastors about situations, okay? So we heard when somebody gets off and they start focusing, they make their whole life about going after the devil. In case, you know, that you don't know it, Jesus already defeated the devil. He's a defeated foe already. And all we have to do is enforce what he did for us. Okay, so you're going to, I'm just saying as a pastor, don't waste your time focusing on the right, wrong thing. It won't, it, won't, it won't do much for you. So Jesus put the weight on the word. He said, it's written. Now, let's, that's Jesus. Let's talk about the epistles. Okay, here's the epistles. Uh, real quickly, the epistles say very little about the devil. Just little bits and pieces here. But the epistles say a lot about who we are and what we have, who we are in Christ, and what we have. The epistles are written to the church, okay? And and here's the thing about being focused on the right thing. It'll take us forward. When you find out who you are and what you have in Christ, the devil can't do anything to you. But as long as you don't know who you are, the devil, as a roaring lion, goes about seeking whom he may devour. If you don't know who you are, he's going to find people, and then he'll do his best to get him. When you know who you are, even if he gives it a try, you know who you are and you don't allow it. 
So our main focus should always be finding out who we are and what we have, because that, that'll take care of everything, all right? And that's what you see. So real quickly, there's two main things in the epistles. Number one, what we see there is that we're already blessed. And secondly, we also see that there's something in there about how we can understand who we are. How can we understand what we have? So let's look at the first one. The first one is in Ephesians 1 that we're already blessed in verse 3. It said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. So Christians, we're not needy. It doesn't matter what your background, if you're sitting here and you were a crook, if you're sitting here and you accidentally did something like really bad, like you didn't even, like sometimes people get in a car wreck and in their car wreck somebody gets killed and some people carry that forever because they, they were driving a car and they hit somebody and somebody got killed and they can't shake that, okay? Now, when Jesus was on the cross, you know, the one guy on one of us, he, he just called Jesus Lord and Jesus said, you'll be with me today in paradise. That guy had a bad life all the way to the end. He was on a cross next to Jesus being put to death, and he acknowledged that Jesus was Lord, and Jesus said, you're going to be with me in paradise. So it doesn't matter what you came out of. As soon as you say, Jesus, you're my Lord, at the very microsecond that you say that, you are seated in a heavenly place, and you are blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. And you did not do a thing to earn it. It was given to you by grace through faith. Okay? So that's the first thing. So as Christians, we're not poor, needy people. We're seated in heavenly places, blessed with all spiritual blessings in the, in the heavenly places. Second, here's another scripture that says something about this. 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 12. It says, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. So first of all, notice the last part, that everything is freely given to us. It's not, we don't earn it. We're not beggars. It is freely given to us. The microsecond you say, Jesus, I confess you as Lord, everything is freely given to you. You don't have to work for it. But then notice the first part, it says, we have His Spirit, because, because we have his spirit, he teaches us what we have. So we first of all see that we have it, but then we also need to learn it and understand it. So the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, teaches us. So you might think, well, Pastor Tony's teaching us. Well, no, I actually looked at the Bible. I did my best to put this together, but because the Holy Spirit takes what I say, he's the one that teaches it to you. And he empowers me to even be able to teach like this. Because if you knew me, you knew that, hey, you're really, right now, really way above who you really, you know, the fact that I actually can talk like this, I'm still like pinching myself if you knew me when I grew up and what kind of guy I was. And so we have to give him all the glory, number one. But he's the great, the Holy Spirit is the great teacher. And he actually gives me ability to get this out. I could not do it without him. Okay, so he gets on the inside of us, and he's the great teacher. And when when I'm speaking right now, 
if you're a baby Christian, he'll take what I say and he'll make it so you can understand it. If you've been saved for 40 years and you were a pastor at one time, he'll take it and make it and he'll help, he'll feed you with it. He can do, and everything in between, that's because that's he's the great teacher. Okay, so knowledge, we see knowledge. Now, where does prayer work come in here? Real quickly, Ephesians 1 and verse 16, it says, I do not cease to give uh, thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So here's, here's the first thing we want to see. Paul was an apostle, and he always was stretching out and, get, and pioneering. And so today, mainly what an apostle will do is start new things. There, I, I won't get in, but you can be an apostle of truth, like Smith Wigglesworth was called an apostle of faith because he pioneered a, a faith message. But you can also be an apostle that goes and plants churches. It's always starting something new and pioneering. So Paul was pioneering and starting something new, okay? So look at the heart of somebody. So I'm thinking as a church, as a church, when we get people saved, uh, you know, we need to even do, like, I just thought of this, and Karen's sitting there. When we get people saved, we need to let everyone know, we got this many people saved, and you guys, you can start carrying some of the prayer load because there's a prayer load here. So he says, I don't cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayer. We're all falling short, including myself with this when it comes to baby Christians and other Christians. We, when somebody gets saved, this is what Paul did. He said, I don't cease. You know, he's, well, he actually said, you know, in between, don't get mad at me. I'm going to do a little, I don't do this too often. So guys, I want to do a little meddling. In between my video games, in between doing likes on Facebook, I'm going to see if I can fit in some prayers. So, but, you know, we're in a different world. But see, you think about it, you get so obsessed, and I, I fall short of this too, so I'm just doing a little meddling there, and I take it for myself. I fall short here, guys. But he said, I don't cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I mean, he was obsessed with these new Christians, and for what reason? Look at the next verse. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. He was obsessed with new Christians finding out who they were are in Christ. And notice that when, when we do the praying, God does the giving. This is something that God will impart and give to somebody. It says he'll give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So there's knowledge Okay, but then how, do, how does that knowledge get really real? What can we do? Well, you can pray this for yourself, and you can pray it for others. And then look at the next verse, verse 18. It says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? So you can study and all that, but then what prayer enhances study? Prayer, even the fact that people are here, if there's a baby Christian listening to this right now, uh, and we pray, they'll get it even quicker because we, we did some praying for them. Is that okay? So just, you know, no guilt, no condemnation, but we can all do more of this for baby Christians, and we can even pray these for ourselves, okay? And then, um, then let's look at the last thing, as time is flying today, uh, but... Um, so these epistles that we, we saw what Jesus did now, we're looking at these epistles. And these epistles now, uh, notice that they are solutions. They, they're positive. It's not about, okay, now use all your energy to fight the devil. No, it's like pray. I don't cease to stop praying. So because if somebody gets 
this revelation knowledge, they'll be able to stand against the devil themselves, okay? So let's look at the last one, 1 Peter uh, 2 and verse 1. It says this, it says, Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. So let's stop there and look at this. This is written to Christians, and Peter's saying to the Christians, you should lay this aside. And now, so I looked up these Greek words to just see, you know, like get a little understanding better. So the first one, malice, it's like being hot and angry about something. It's about or against a person of something. You're hot and you're angry. Deceitful is just like your deceit means you can be a dis- Christians should not be deceitful. We should tell the truth all the time. Hypocritical, envious, murmuring and evil talk. So he's telling the Christians, lay this aside. Now, I found this out, and and I'm thankful that I haven't done this in Australia, and I've made some progress. But two country, two, um, uh, two continents ago, when we lived in Europe, in Italy, there was a situation that happened with ministry where a guy came over, from the states and he started causing all kind of trouble with the work we were doing and I was really upset about it because you know it messes people's lives up but I got obsessed by it it, it took control and, and I tell you here's what I learned when you have malice and, and you're mad and you're focusing on this thing and you're not focusing on what you should be it's hard to focus on both things at the same time so I always thank God for my wife because, you know, she's got that thing about her where she was able to say the right words to me and help me see where I was, and I got out of it. Thank God for those kind of wives. So I rescued myself. I laid aside all that garbage, okay? And then look at the next verse. It says, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow by. So I know many of you are not a baby Christian, but here's the thing. If Christians, as we, if we get so obsessed by a person or a situation, it makes us mad, and that's all we're thinking about, then I can tell you what we talked about, knowledge, prayer, and desire. I doubt very, I really doubt that you could have desire for that if you got all this other stuff going on. So that's why he says, lay that aside, get that out of your life, and then desire the milk of the word. So some of you are older Christians, but you know what? You you can't ever leave the Word. I need the Word more than ever. It doesn't matter that I can stand up and teach it. As soon as I walk off the pulpit, I need the Word. I need God. I need Him. I need Him. I'm nothing without Him. I'm nothing without His Word. I need it. You know that. And so, so we we never leave that. Okay. So so a baby, a newborn baby. They're naive and harmless. They're pure-hearted. They're sincere. They're hungry. You all know when they want to eat, you know. But here's, they start crying. But he's saying like like a newborn, we should get all that other stuff out and we should be so hungry. Like, kind of like innocent, pure-hearted, naive, and just long for God's word, you know. That's, that's really the way that he wants us to be. And uh, so that, that is like we're talking about any kind of hindrances for us to have spiritual growth. So these are some of the things that we can do to remove. So in summary today, and the worship team can come up, but in summary, uh, we say this about unsaved people. The devil blinds their minds. We can use our authority to break his uh, blinding power. 
we can pray the Lord sends someone to share the gospel. That's what we can do for unsaved people. And I think I got that on the screen. If you could put that, on, that next one up. Did I, did I put that on there? I thought I did. If not, um, just so you can see it. Yeah, so for unsaved people, um, I, so for the unsaved, you, you know, as I said, the devil blinds their minds. We can use our authority to break his uh, blinding power. We can pray the Lord sends someone to share the gospel. So that's what we can do for unsaved. Okay, for saved, all right, here's what we can do for saved. We're already blessed, so we remember we're blessed. We can pray the Ephesians prayers for ourselves and others, okay? We can lay aside all that junk and make sure we desire his work. So that's just, in a nutshell, what we're saying, because the number one need is spiritual for all of us, okay? So in, in conclusion today, let's just say if... Uh, well, let's, let's put these up. Can you put that next stream up? And I'll do this real quickly. Uh, revelation knowledge, like the one after that, revelation knowledge of who we are in Christ is the standard that we judge everything in life by. So if you don't do that now, it's a good thing to, to think, I'm going to do that where I'm going to start judging everything in life by the revelation knowledge of who I am in Christ. That's how I'm going to make my determinations and judgments in life. Anything that is out of alignment with who we are in Christ, that's not truth. Okay? Our minds can only be trusted if they're renewed with God's Word. So if you want to be able to trust your mind, the Bible says renew your mind because a, a mind that isn't renewed, the Bible actually says is an enemy against God. But a renewed mind is in line. So if the way that we trust our mind, your, your mind can tell you a lot of stuff, but if it doesn't line up with the word and who you are in Christ, you don't trust your mind. Okay, and then one last screen here. Our feelings change from minute to minute, hour to hour, and day to day. Listen to this, but we don't allow our feelings to dictate our beliefs. Okay, your feelings do not dictate your beliefs. Okay, it's God's word in the Bible and who you are in Christ that dictates our beliefs. Amen. Father, I thank you for everyone that's here today, Lord, and trust with all of our hearts that your word makes a difference in everyone's life, Father. I thank you that, that when we leave here today, Father, that our Mondays and Tuesdays and every day will be different because of revelation knowledge of who we are in Christ. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Lord, before we go real quickly, we just want to make sure that everyone in this room knows Jesus as Lord. So Father, we thank you that you've been speaking to their hearts throughout this whole service. So thank you, Lord, for making it really real that there is one way to heaven there's one way to have eternity with you, Father, and that's through your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for making that real, Lord. As you have your eyes closed, we're going to pray a prayer with the entire congregation. If you're with us today and you walked into this place, maybe with some fear, not knowing what was going to happen, but you do not know Jesus as Lord, we want to give you an opportunity to pray. And this is your opportunity to make Jesus Christ your Savior and your Lord. It's simple. God made it simple. 
And all you have to do is pray this prayer. And when you pray it, pray from your heart and, and use your mouth. Say, some, say things with your mouth. So let's, the congregation is going to do this and we're going to do it together to help you out. Let's say this together. He- Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus. Jesus, thank you that you came for me. You died for me. You took my sin. You went to hell for me. And you were raised for me. Jesus, I believe God raised you from the dead. Jesus, you are my Lord. I call you Lord now. You're welcome in my heart. Thank you that you first loved me. I love you now because you first loved me. Thanks for listening. We're always encouraged to hear how God is using this ministry to change lives. If you have a story you would like to share about how God is working in your life, please let us know and send us an email at church at If you would like more information or resources on this or other topics, or if you would like to sow into this ministry financially to help us share messages just like this one each week, please visit our website at rhema.org.au.